Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach into the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Andrew Abair to the podcast. Dr. Abair serves as the lead pastor of Paramount Baptist Church in Amarillo, Texas. He recently released a book he edited titled Shepherding Like Jesus, Returning to the Wild Idea that Character Matters in Ministry. Andrew, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Dr. Allen, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on. Yeah, well, listen, uh, I'm eager to get into the book, and the topic today we'll be talking about uh, shepherding like Jesus. And so we'll be talking about that here momentarily. But before we do, give us a few words of update on yourself and uh, on your family and on your ministry there in Amarillo. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, it's great to great to visit with you, and uh, things are going really, really well. Uh, the last time I think I saw you face-to-face, I was uh, at Midwestern uh, preaching in chapel, and that was such a delight uh, to be on campus. I just love what is happening at Midwestern, love the way that you're leading uh, the seminary there, just so impressed with the vibrancy uh, on campus and just the life uh, that's that's there. But uh, things are going really well here. I've been uh, at Paramount for about five and a half years, and uh, it's only felt like about 20. Uh, <laughs> and that's just the COVID years. So, uh, uh, it, you know, it's been a difficult uh, couple of years leading through COVID, just like any pastor that you talk to, you know, it's it's been a struggle in some ways. But uh, honestly, the Lord has just really been faithful and has sustained our church and sustained our family, sustained me. And uh, I, I'm looking, uh, you know, back over the last five and a half years of leading here. I think uh, actually the Lord used uh, COVID like he uses so often many trials in our lives uh, to shape and sanctify me and to, to shape and sanctify our church. And I think we're actually healthier on the other side of it. So the church is doing well. I am doing well. My family is doing great. I'm, I've been married to Amy coming up on 15 years and we'll be celebrating our anniversary uh, here in a couple of weeks. And we've got four uh, beautiful children, three girls, one boy, ages uh, 13, all the way down to seven. And uh, the family is just flourishing. And uh, tell us a word about the book project itself, how it came together, uh, what what prompted it. Yeah, so Shepherding Like Jesus is a book about character, the importance of character in ministry. And it's actually an application of the Beatitudes of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, back at the beginning of 2020, my wife and I were actually memorizing the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, just there was something that struck me right at the beginning of the of the text in Matthew chapter 5. Um, I, I've always pictured that the Sermon on the Mount was preached, you know, to the crowd of 5,000 people. And but but actually in, in Matthew 5, 1 and 2, it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he actually withdrew and went up on the mountain. He called his disciples to himself and he began to teach them. And then you have the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. And so it just dawned on me uh, as I was memorizing the Sermon on the Mount and meditating on it, that this is really not a sermon to thousands. It's a sermon to a few. It's not a sermon to the crowd. It's a sermon to you know, the 12 disciples who are going to lead the early church, which means uh, that if we have anything like a sermon to leaders in, in Scripture, it's the Sermon on the Mount. And so I began to just really think about that, uh, think about the Sermon on the, Mount, on the Mount through a different lens. I started thinking about um, how would you hear the Beatitudes you know, through the lens of thinking about church leadership and, and what it was that Jesus was expecting of those who would lead the early church. And so as I began to reflect and meditate on that, 
uh, really just started writing and, and started to apply the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes, to pastoral life and work. And so that's really kind of the genesis of the project. And, and it came together and uh, wrote a, a, basically a chapter on each one of the Beatitudes. And then I invited um, some different respected pastors and leaders from around the country, uh, names that you would know, uh, like Steve Dighton or, or Robert Smith Jr. And, and others to write contributions at the end of every chapter where they actually reflect a little bit further on the meaning of, of the various Beatitudes. So that's kind of how the book came together. Yeah, and I love the collection of uh, of contributors you do have, and many are retired from ministry after many decades of faithful service, well-respected individuals. Others are still vocationally active. Uh, leading churches or, or, or similar type ministries. And so I love how you put all of this together. I uh, I, I want to um, maybe sharpen the question a little bit and say, like, what were you seeing on the horizon? You mentioned the Beatitudes, yeah. the Sermon on the Mount, you uh, processing that, praying through it, memorizing it. But also you must have seen a need out there uh, in pastorates, local churches that made you think this is a message that needs to be needs to be heard. So tell me what you what you sensed. Yeah, I appreciate that question. And, and really, I sense the convergence of a couple of different things, just kind of looking on the horizon of church leadership out there. Um, wh- one was just, you know, there there has been a leadership crisis in the church over the last several years. And, uh, you know, in 2019, there was a series of articles written in the Houston Chronicle uh, on uh, the sex abuse crisis in Southern Baptist churches. And that was obviously you know, a watershed moment uh, for many Southern Baptist pastors to realize that there is a character problem. We're not talking about a handful or a few dozen uh, men, but we're talking about several hundred uh, abusers that have gone from church to church and and uh, committed uh, criminal and horrific and sinful acts ag- against uh, the flock. And so, you know, there's, there's that out there on the horizon. Uh, you know, it seems like every few weeks, we hear another about another high-profile pastor or Christian leader who has a very public moral failing or maybe has to step aside from leadership because of, of, of toxic leadership patterns. And so on the one hand, Dr. Allen, I am seeing a, a crisis of character out there in the churches. And then on the other hand, um, the other thing that I see almost every week as a pastor, my email account gets flooded with emails from um, ministry organizations and church consultants who who promise that if you will commit yourself to this, that, or the other, that your church will explode in growth and you'll be the next megachurch. In fact, I had an email uh, a month ago from a company that they said, if you just buy the, the this LED screen, uh, you'll see your your crowds, uh, the, the number of, of people in your crowds on Sunday increase. And I get emails like this and contacts like this, and I hear conversations like this all the time where it seems like we're emphasizing so many of the wrong things in, in ministry. It's about the crowd. It's about uh, being a, a dynamic communicator. It's about having a charismatic personality. It's about being hip and cool and attractive. And we focus so much on this thing that, and, and and simultaneously we've seen this crisis of character, like we've emphasized all the wrong things and we've neglected the most important things. So those were the things on the horizon that really kind of birthed this message in my heart, just to write about the importance of the the, the most essential aspect of our ministry is who we are with Christ. It's our character. And uh, that that's, Good news. It means that 
you know, you may not have the largest crowd, you may not have the most charismatic personality, but if you are a pastor who reflects the character of Christ in your life, then you can be an effective shepherd. And so as you think about the current needs and, and vulnerabilities you see and this crisis of character, as you've referenced, uh, can you reflect with us as to kind of how we got to this point? And I'm curious if you see social media or contemporary entertainment as a part of this or not. I think certainly social media has been a game changer um, in regards to all of this. I mean, I, I think that we got to this point because um, we have focused on certain virtues to the neglect of others. And so we have, uh, in, in many cases, kind of <clears throat> imported uh, some, some corporate ideas into the life of the church where, where we've, we've, we've thought about the church through the, a business mindset where the, the ultimate virtue is, is growth. You know, if you own a company and you have a business, you want to, to generate profit, uh, you want to multiply uh, your reach, all of those types of things. And we have imported in the last 70 years or so that kind of mentality in the church where the bottom line has to do with, with your budget. It has to do with your attendance. It has to do with your buildings and anybody who can come in and get the job done grow the church, increase the numbers, increase the budget, you know, that's going to be a leader that we, that we value. At the same time, we have an entertainment culture where if there's someone that we enjoy listening to or a charismatic personality we can follow, we, we tend to elevate those types of people. And so the way that that has played out in the church is that there have been shepherds who have been elevated, not just in the context of the church, but in the broader evangelical culture as kind of thought leaders or movement leaders to uh, maybe they are very gifted communicators. Maybe they have very charismatic personalities. Maybe they're very dynamic leaders in some ways, and they can grow large crowds. But we've seen over the course of the last few years with the abuse uh, scandal and these uh, toxic leadership patterns and so forth, we've seen the rise and fall of many of these leaders because there's a, a character problem. They have all of the external gifts but internally something's deeply broken and it's just something unique to kind of the American evangelical culture that we tend to worship our heroes. Um, we tend to, to put them in stained glass. We tend to elevate and platform people who maybe don't have the character of Christ. And so I think all of those factors have led us to this moment. And now we're seeing that the, the effects of that we're seeing um, the sort of the shadow side of, of what we've done in American evangelical culture. So give us a sense then more personally, what are some of the pitfalls that arise or evidence when pastors uh, persist in, in, in sin and frankly just develop compromised character? Yeah, well, I think there, there are several things that the church has neglected to do. Um, first of all, we, we don't have good patterns of accountability um, for our leaders. Um, we, we often, you know, and this is the case if you, if you hear about different churches across the country that have a leader um, who falls into a, a very public sin, a lot of times in the aftermath of that, people will say, you know, we saw some warning signs. We saw the way that he, he yelled at a staff member in a staff meeting, or we saw that he was having an, you know, kind of an unusual relationship with a, with a, a woman in the church, but we just didn't say anything or we thought everything was okay. Uh, we trusted him. And so we, you know, we didn't know how to really address that. So I think there's been sometimes a failure of accountability when you start to see some, some red flags or caution flags that begin to, to appear in a leader's life. Um, I think another thing is that we have um, uh, in the churches, we've developed a false view uh, of the, the idea of restoration. 
And so let me explain what I mean by that. Um, we'll see a leader who, who has a, a toxic leadership pattern. Let's say that they have uncontrolled anger. Um, and, and we think, you know, they, they can apologize, they can be forgiven, and then they can be automatically restored to leadership. Well, that may be true after a process of repentance, but I found that we often too quickly restore someone to a position of leadership when there's not been a pattern of repentance and there's not really been a process of repentance. Uh, the same thing would go for someone who's, who's had a, a sexual failure or there's been some kind of immorality in their life. Um, sometimes there are things that you do as a leader that are disqualifying toward uh, for ministry leadership. There are some things that if you do, you should never pastor a church again or lead a Christian ministry again. And sometimes I think we have a false view of restoration where we think, you know, Christ can forgive and redeem. That is absolutely true. You can be restored in your relationship with Christ, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be restored to the place of leadership. I think sometimes we, we look at some of these dynamic charismatic leaders who are lacking character, but they have a lot of other gifts. And, and we, we tend to um, maybe think that they're irreplaceable, that the church won't be all that it could be unless they're the one leading. And I think that's a mistake. I mean, I need to realize about my own leadership of my church here at Paramount, um, I'm very replaceable. And there are some things that I can do that if it's a, a failure of character at a certain level, um, the Lord will, will bring someone else uh, to lead this church, and it may be the best thing for the sake of the church for me to step aside until there has been a process of repentance. And I, I think that we're lacking that in many of our churches. So let's shift the conversation then proactively, helpfully. Um, what would you say to pastors about continually cultivating Christ-like character in their own lives? Mm-hmm. Well, that's really what the book is about. And so I think Jesus gives us a roadmap for that in, in the, the Beatitudes. If you just think about the logical progression of the Beatitudes, you know, it begins with being poor in spirit. Um, so it's a recognition that uh, I don't have the spiritual resources that I need actually to cultivate Christ-like character, that, that the, the path to spiritual growth and really the path to character for leaders is the, the beginning point is the recognition that I am spiritually bankrupt without Christ. So I think the first thing that I would say is if you want to cultivate character, realize you can't do it on your own. Um, you're spiritually bankrupt. You're poor in spirit, and you need to rely on Christ for that. You have to depend on the Holy Spirit to cultivate that within you. Of course, the next uh, series of, of Beatitudes, you know, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The second one is blessed are, um, are those who mourn. Do we have a real brokenness over that spiritual poverty? And he says, blessed are the humble. You know, are we at a place of meekness where we're ready for Jesus to do something in our lives? And then Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's really the next step in the logical progression that Jesus is giving in, in the Beatitudes. Once you realize, I don't have what it takes. I'm broken over that. I'm mourning. And now I'm meek. I'm humble. I'm ready to receive. Now I begin to hunger and thirst for God to fill me with his righteousness. And actually, we, we have some instruction in the Sermon on the Mount about that. If you look at Matthew chapter six, for instance, Jesus talks about the importance of, of prayer and fasting, right? He starts talking about the spiritual disciplines. So just practically speaking, kind of where the rubber meets the road, if a pastor wants to cultivate Christ-like character, you know, it starts with recognizing that you must be dependent on the power of the spirit. It involves the cultivation of the spiritual disciplines, you know, giving yourself to the disciplines of, of word and prayer and fasting um, it has to do with the pursuit of, of, of Christ-like virtue. So Jesus talks about some of those virtues in the, the second half of the Beatitudes, things like uh, being a person of mercy, 
uh, being a person who has, uh, is pure in heart, being a peacemaking person rather than a contentious or divisive person, being somebody who's willing to endure through hardship. God uses all of those things to begin to cultivate um, the virtue, uh, uh, you know, Christ-like virtues and Christ-like character in our lives. And I guess we see, as you point out in the book, just how high the stakes are on both counts. Um, if character flaws develop and they fester, and uh, over time, that will prove ruinous. And oftentimes it proves yeah. ruinous uh, in, in public ways, in obvious ways, in disqualifying ways. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes people are able to suppress that. But it ultimately proves ruinous for them, eternally speaking, spiritually speaking. And then conversely, when you see a person who serves faithfully years and then in the decades in faithful pastoral church ministry, um, and they have cultivated their character and their hearts are upright before the Lord, and they do practice the spiritual disciplines, and, and that compounds in ways that gives God greater glory in the life of that congregation and then to their public yeah. ministry and public testimony. Uh, you have uh, a, a lot, as you as we mentioned, you have a number of contributors who have who have added these these reflections on the end of each chapter. Uh, could you share maybe one or two, and I don't expect you to read it, but just just reflections that meant the most to you or meant a lot to you and, and why? Sure. Yeah, Robert Smith Jr., who teaches preaching at Beeson, um, one of my favorite uh, preachers, he wrote a great little contribution on the importance of repentance in the life of a pastor. You know, we often associate the, the idea of repentance as being for non-believers, but repentance is for Christians. Martin Luther said, you know, the entirety of the Christian life is repentance. And so he talks about the importance of that, just practically speaking, in, in your life as a pastor, how repentance should be a regular normative part of your life. Um, that was a really helpful contribution. Clint Presley, um, who uh, who pastored at, at Dauphin Way, uh, which I know you you served there for a, a time. That's right. Uh, Clint Presley wrote a, a great um, contribution on how to bring healing to a hurting church. You know, Jesus says, "Blessed are the peacemakers." And so Clint writes a a reflection about how to step into a church that's that's hurting, uh, a church that's broken, broken, maybe a church that needs revitalization. And he gives about ten just very practical ideas about how to bring healing and restoration and revitalization to that, to that church really it could be a lecture on church revitalization. It's just absolute gold. And, uh, you know, there's so many others, Hans Dilbeck and Matt Brunson. I mentioned Steve Dighton. These are respected, uh, men who have led well for the long haul and they just bring a ton of practical wisdom to the book. So speaking of the long haul, what would you say to our listeners about how they can finish well in their ministries? I'm hesitant to answer that question because uh, I'm 35. <laughs> so I've I've been pastoring since I was 18. So I've been doing this for a while, but I'm so far from finishing well. Well, I mean, I have a long way to go. Um, what I'll tell you is what I've observed in others who I have seen. I've seen I've seen some people who have failed failed uh, before they finish, and I have seen uh, some men who have finished well and they've finished faithfully. Um, what has been true of the men that I've watched who have finished the race well is that they're men of deep humility. Um, they, they are not marked by pride. Um, they are men of prayer, and they recognize the importance of dependence on the Spirit. Um, they're, they're men who have devoted themselves to that which is most important, which is their own walk with Christ. They have a vibrant walk with Christ and, and then their, their family. They've spent more time uh, investing in their wife and in their children than they have in their church. And they haven't sacrificed their family on the altar of their ministry. Um, the, the men who I've watched who have finished well have, have a, 
take an approach, you know, an approach that, you know, is, is more of the, the slow and steady wins the race kind of approach. Um, Zach Eswine wrote a, a wonderful book called The Imperfect Pastor. And he says, you know, every pastor, particularly young pastors, have the tendency to want to do large things famously and as fast as possible. And even the way some church consultants talk about ministry, they talk about speed, they talk about efficiency, they talk about leveraging uh, your gifts in a catalytic way, all of this kind of language. And really what I've seen is that you can, you can burn fast and burn out quick if you take that kind of approach. Um, the men who've finished well, you know, after decades of ministry have, have been the guys who've just slowly and steadily, faithfully plodded along. Um, I think it was Adoniram uh, Judson, you know, who who had the statement, "I can plod." <laughs> mm. Just guys who keep their hands to the plow, uh, in in season, out of season, season after season, and and slow and steady wins the race. Well, Andrew, I want to thank you for your time today and for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. And I want to commend your book, Shepherding Like Jesus. Returning to the Wild Idea That Character Matters in Ministry. It's out with B&H Publishers. And uh, Andrew, again, it's a delight to visit with you today. And uh, thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. Dr. Allen, thank you so much for having me. I believe in you and what you're doing and praying for uh, just God's greatest blessing on Midwestern Seminary. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.